When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, Nancy and I discuss high-functioning anxiety, what it is, how to spot the signs in yourself or child or loved one, how to help you identify your go-to patterns so you can start unraveling how they protect you from your anxiety, what your anxiety is really about, and how you can move through it as quickly as possible. We also discuss how to overcome perfectionism, how sometimes concepts like positive thinking and gratitude can be unhelpful to people with high-performance anxiety, and so much more. Nancy is a licensed professional counsellor with 11 years in private practice and has spent 20-plus years working as a counsellor and coach. Nancy is a specialist on all things related to anxiety, especially high-functioning anxiety. She began to research high-functioning anxiety when almost all her clients came to her believing that their anxious thoughts, excessive behavior, and obsession with high achievement were hardwired into their personalities, often referring to it as having a type A personality or being a control freak. Plus, all of them were addicted to praise they received as high achievers, so the feedback loop made it nearly impossible to stop the cycle. People with high-functioning anxiety tend to develop a lot of unhealthy mechanisms to cope, people-pleasing, perfectionism, and procrastination, to name a few. If you enjoy my podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review and subscribing to my podcast. And share the episodes and this podcast with friends and family, because let's be honest, we all know someone who needs help with their mental health. One last thing before we begin. If you would like to receive text messages from me with mental health tips, exclusive content, insider access to sales and events, and more, just text Dr. Leaf to 833-285-3747. The details will also be in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. I am so excited to have you in the studio with me today, Nancy. This is this is such an important topic, anxiety. And you have such an interesting take on it. So before we dive into the, you know, the detail of the questions, can you just tell myself and my audience how you ended up where you are today doing what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I have been a therapist and a licensed professional counselor since 2007. And I always kind of worked with anxiety and that was always a, a specialty of mine. And then three years ago, my, my dad died in January of 2017. And that was a real pivotal, I know for a lot of people, Sorry. that's a real, thank you. I know for a lot of people, that's a real pivotal time, but what happened when he died, it, it did bring me to my knees and had to deal with grief and all that good stuff. But also in the time I got to spend with him, 
because he had Parkinson's with dementia, I realized how loud his inner critic, I call the inner critic voice, the monger was, and that he had spent his whole life feeling like he wasn't good enough. And even here he was fighting this disease just so amazingly and, you know, had raised three kids and a wife of 50 plus years and all had done, checked all the boxes. He still felt like he was a failure. And I was like, this has to stop. This has, I see this in my client, this has to stop. And so I wrote a book called The Happier Approach, which talks about this inner critic monger voice. But what happened was as I was doing, talking about the book and doing a a small book tour, I realized we all have a monger voice, but some of us have an exceptionally loud monger voice. I would be one of those people. And, And a lot of my clients are those people. And so I realized there was kind of this two level of the monger. There's the, 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 everyone has a voice that's criticizing them. And then there are the people that are like driven by this voice. And this voice is, is overwhelming them. And so that got me into my, my now specialty, which is called high functioning anxiety. Oh, wow. Uh, Well, that, what a good introduction. So, okay, let's, do you want to start by talking more about the voices, those three voices in your head that you talk about or defining high functioning anxiety, which would be easier to start with for everyone to understand? Let's start with high functioning anxiety and then I'll get into the, I can get into the voices. Fantastic. Sounds good. Okay. So tell us about high functioning anxiety. So high functioning anxiety is really, it's a form of anxiety that isn't on the, you know, the DSM. It's not something you're going to get diagnosed with if you go visit a psychiatrist, but it is similar to generalized anxiety in the symptoms you may get. So you may have, you know, persistent and continuous racing thoughts. You may have some physical symptoms of headaches and gastro symptoms, and you have this constant push, push, push that's happening under the surface. The reason it's called high-functioning anxiety is because how you cope with the anxiety symptoms is you push yourself even harder and faster. So the anxiety becomes a way that you propel yourself forward, and it results in people-pleasing, overachieving, perfectionism. And and so it becomes a dangerous, in my opinion, dangerous concept because it's something that you're, you're pushing yourself, you're having all this extra energy in response to the anxiety. And so on the outside, you look like you're a high achiever who has it all together, you're accomplishing all these things. And on the inside, you're experiencing all this anxiety that you're afraid people are going to figure out about you. And so you live in secret that you have this problem happening all the time. And so there's a, there's a, it's a twofold problem. One, a lot of people aren't aware that they don't have to live like this because they don't have people around them saying, this is, wow, wow. I can't believe, you know, this is your normal because they're not sharing it with people. They're keeping it inside. Wow. That's actually so it's so important what you've just said and so real. I think there's, as you said, so many people that are living like this, especially in this day and age, this technological age. And I find it interesting. And I'm first of all, just also want to say, I'm so sorry about your dad. It's really hard to deal with. And, but it's interesting that you, that you got this insight through almost like with your dad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so you say he was basically a high functioning anxiety person. Would you say that? Oh, definitely. Yes. And now I can, you know, I would say both my, my, both my parents are, yeah, they were. So it was interesting when I started, you know, peeling back the onions, so to speak, and realizing all of these rules that they had and their black and white thinking and 
just that there's a definite right and a definite wrong were ways that they were managing their anxiety and teaching us how to manage our anxiety. And so it, it was recognizing this isn't, you know, and I hate the word normal, but this isn't common. You know, everyone out in the world is not doing it this way. And so that was a real heads up to me to recognize, oh, not only is this a problem, but I don't even, it's hard for me to recognize it because it's so combined with who I am as a person. Wow, that's this is fascinating. So you said the key word there, recognize it. How do you actually recognize it? Because that's the first thing that's coming into my head now. What are the signs that you have high functioning anxiety and you know this perfectionism and the things that you've described? So I was listening to to some of your podcasts earlier this morning and you were talking about that that being aware of your thoughts. And so for a lot of us with anxiety, and I was so happy to hear you say this, we're not aware of our thoughts. You know, like one of the common questions is, you know, what do people with high functioning anxiety think about? They're not thinking. It's just thought after thought after thought after thought after thought. And so, and it's all, they keep coming back to their to-do list. That's how they ground themselves. What do I have to accomplish next? And so there isn't any awareness of what's going on. And so that's, that's what's hard with helping with people with high functioning anxiety is, is A, to recognize this isn't, a way to live, but it's also recognizing I don't need to be pushing myself all the time. I can slow down. And that is, if you have a trouble, if you have trouble slowing down, that is a number one sign you have high functioning anxiety. (laughs) So to give you an example of my morning, I woke up and for some reason today, I have a lot, I have a lot of anxiety. And so I was, I sat down at my desk and I noticed I was you know, I was on Instagram and then I was on Facebook and then I checked a, a forum that I'm on and then I was checking my email and then I went back, Facebook, Instagram, forum, email, and just kept, you know, busying myself with nothing. And I told myself, okay, you got to slow down. You got some anxiety. We got to get centered. We're going to start our day. What are we going to do? And even that I had to fight myself to slow down because I was like, no, no. And I kept finding myself back on Instagram, Facebook, doing the cycle again. And it wasn't till I got up from my desk and, and walked away and was able to really slow down myself and look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, okay, what's going on here? And I could come into the moment. That's incredible. You know, I love how you've just described that because it, it's so true that people are so busy racing through their thoughts that they don't actually stop to think about what am I thinking about? And yeah, that's a huge part of what I teach. So I'm, I, I just love how you recentered yourself, how you actually could recognize that. And you said so many people, you're so right, so many people don't recognize when they're doing that. Are we talking about the, also the sort of person that has this checklist and every moment of the day has to be worth something. And if it isn't, if you may be sitting still and not doing something, you're wasting time. Is, is that kind of also this high functioning anxiety? Type Absolutely. Person? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the irony is if you asked them, the number one thing they would say is, I just need a break. I just need a day where I have nothing. I just need to have a day where I can rest. And then that day comes and they are so freaked out. They don't know how to handle it. So they fill it up with tasks and doing and so they never get the day of nothing because it's too overwhelming and your your brain and mind just cannot handle that wow so perfectionism you've mentioned as well very tied into this whole process of high functioning anxiety can you talk about that underneath the idea of this anxiety comes the the i'm not worthy 
And so it's kind of it's kind of imposter syndrome ramped up to a higher degree. So it's imposter syndrome times a thousand because it's this underlying belief that I'm not worthy and they're all going to find it out. And so I got to hustle to make sure that no one figures this out. And so I'm going to hustle really hard. And one of the ways to hustle and make sure everything is okay is to be a perfectionist. And so the... And not everyone who is a perfectionist has high functioning anxiety, just to be clear. But it is one of the primary ways it shows up in high functioning anxiety. And it's because when the the telltale, I think, is when people with high functioning anxiety do something wrong and their perfectionism doesn't work for them, because we never, you know, because we're imperfect, because we're humans. When they do something wrong, it's devastating, you know, it, and it can be the idea of something really benign. It doesn't have to be, I got into a car accident and it was my fault. It could be, oh, I left the garage door open. Mm, so little things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tip, tip, tip over the edge, like this, the, the straw that broke the camel's back kind of concept. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So so how would you say it differs from just general anxiety that is also pretty common amongst you know all of us to a certain extent experience anxiety, which is a very normal part of life. Um, and then you've got obviously extremes of that. And how, so how would you distinguish between high functioning anxiety and general anxiety that's in, that's affecting a person? Well, I don't think high functioning anxiety is as persistent and continuous as generalized anxiety. I think that people who have generalized anxiety wake up with it and go with it all day long. And so people with high functioning anxiety, it comes and goes. So there aren't, it's not every day you're running at a high pace, but there are days like this morning that I described where it becomes a little higher. So there's this you know, idea of just being aware, which is why a lot of my work is helping clients develop coping skills for when they notice their, their anxiety is higher, they can, they can step in. And it's how they cope with it. So I always, you know, I struggle with the term, honestly, I struggle with the term high functioning, because in, in some ways, people will say, oh, does that mean that there are low functioning? Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Yeah. And if you take away the cultural subjectiveness on functioning, we as in Western society have deemed high functioning as better than low functioning. But it's not. They're just different ways of manifesting anxiety. So someone that has a, quote, low-functioning way of manifesting anxiety would might hang out. They might say no more. They might be resistant to try anything new. Whereas people with high-functioning anxiety, that anxiety is going to drive them and push them to, there is no obstacle. They can do everything. And so that idea of, I'm just going to keep going, 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 is where high-functioning anxiety comes, you know, that's the difference, I would say. But it isn't saying people that hide out or, you know, have social anxiety or panic attacks that they are less than. It's just manifesting it in a different way. Different way. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. I like that explanation. It's so good. Okay, so let's talk about those voices because you talk about three, the biggest fan, the best friend, BFF, and the manga. I love it. Can you explain those three voices in your head? Yes. So in The Happier Approach, which is the book about dealing with your inner critic, I talk about these three voices. And so everyone's, most people have heard of the inner critic, which is the voice in your head that's constantly telling you where you failed and how you could do it differently. I call that voice a monger because mongers by definition spread propaganda. And that is basically what the monger is doing is spreading propaganda about how terrible you are. (laughs) Mm, It's so good. I love that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so what was always missing for me with work on inner critic stuff was the idea of they, everyone would say, you know, you need to love yourself no matter what. And that's how you can overcome this monger voice. And even as a therapist, I was like, what does that mean? Love yourself no matter what. Because remember, I was raised by parents that were all about achievement and pushing. And so the idea of loving myself no matter what in that meant, okay, I'm not going to be able to achieve anything because I'm just going to stop here. I'm just loving myself no matter what. So I won't have any reason to keep pushing. Wow, that's so insightful. Wow. So then I realized I had this other voice in my head that that no one talks about. I call that voice the BFF. And I call her a BFF because you think back in high school, you had this best friend forever and you would get in trouble with her or him and, and they would always have your back and they may not be having the best intentions for you. Like they always just want to have fun. And, and so for, you know, Example, one of my favorite examples of this, of these two voices is you decide you're going to get up in the morning and work out and just go for a little walk before you start your day and your alarm goes off and your monger starts in to say, come on, fatty, get up out of bed. You said you were going to walk. Now, why aren't you doing it? Let's get moving. You know, she's just that nasty voice. And then your BFF chimes in and says, oh, it was late. We didn't get to bed till late. We can do it tomorrow. This is no big deal. You're okay the way you are. It's fine. And you lay there in bed and you, those two voices just go to town back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, your half an hour that you had set to get up early goes away. You haven't walked, you haven't slept, you've just laid there and started your day with anxiety, really, because you haven't come through. And so that voice, that BFF voice is kind of the voice of self-sabotage. She's like, go ahead, have that third glass of wine, go ahead, skip the workout, eat whatever you want. And then if someone triggers your monger, this is the part I always think is fascinating about the BFF. So you're at work and someone, your coworker kind of triggers your monger and you get wrapped up in comparison. And they're like, she, you know, that, that Angie, she has it all together. She totally knows what she's doing. The boss loves her. You are the loser here because you're nothing like Angie. And so your response to that is then to go home and to your spouse, totally bad mouth Angie. And you rip on Angie, you make fun of Angie, you put Angie down because that makes you feel better. Well, that's your BFF talking. She's trying to protect you from your monger. Mm, it's so interesting. So then the third voice I came up with is the voice of, I call it the voice of wisdom and grace. And that is your biggest fan. And so in the analogy that I gave of the waking up in the morning, you're to go work out, your your biggest fan is going to step in and say, yeah, we did go to bed later. So let's grab 20 more minutes of sleep. And then we're going to do this at lunch. Or we feel so much better when we start the day with a walk. So get up, get moving. I know we went to bed late, but that's okay. We can have coffee. The walk will help. Here we go. So she's that voice of kindness and pushing us forward, but she's kind. She's kind. She's not, come on, fatty, get up out of bed. She's, come on, we know we feel better. We're a team here. We got this. Let's keep going. Oh, I love that. And and everyone has this. I mean, just listening to what you're saying, we've, we've all got this. Whether uh-huh. you are high-functioning anxiety or whether you, whatever, you this sounds like very much a human thing. Yes, definitely. The only thing with the high-functioning anxiety is these voices are a little more amped up. Ah, uh, okay. On steroids. 
Yes, they are on steroids. Yes. <laughs> okay. I love that. Okay. So you talk about this in your great book, The Happier Approach, Be Kind to Yourself, and we'll feel happier and still accomplish your goals. And we will have the details in the show notes as well. So you've already said what, what made you write this. It, you know, you're very inspired by your, your dad and your, and your clients. So what are some tips from the book that you can share related to these three voices? So what I found was that a lot of times when we are under the the spell of our monger, and I even call them monger attacks, our first response is to demonize the monger, is to say, you know, get out of And you'll even hear that there's, you know, stuff, get out of here, bitch, or stop talking to me. And I always encourage people that that monger voice is a part of you. She's she's still a part of you. So even though her her message is shaming and belittling, we don't need to fight her with shame and belittling. So that's why I, you know, I used to spend so much time with people before I developed this theory. I used to spend so much time with people on their monger. Describe your monger, take a picture of your monger, tell me what your monger's name is, all this stuff. And then I realized it's not about the monger. It's really about that biggest fan and pumping up the biggest fan and, and bringing in that voice. So when you hear your monger, be like, ah, there she is. Now, what does my biggest fan have to say about this situation? So using some logical stand back and counter the monger almost immediately with the biggest fan. So using the voice of reason. Yes, I think, and it's, you know, and that is easy to say. <laughs> yeah, when you're in the you know, situation. <laughs> right, and it's, the problem is recognizing when your monger is talking. The challenge with the monger is there is no separation between us, for some people, there is no separation between us and the monger. So they hear that monger talking, and they assume that's just how it should be. They don't separate out the idea that this is just a voice in their head. This isn't, re- this isn't reality. Okay, so they've got to realize that that's just a voice. It's not the reality. Yes. And so one of the ways I'll encourage people to do that is to, and this is how I started, I would be in my car and I would just start talking to myself what I was hearing, you know, saying out loud what I was hearing in my head. And that was when I realized, wow, this voice is nasty, man. I mean, she is just mean. And why am I allowing her to take up real estate up there? Like, you know, I need to be doing something to fight this rather than just letting her yammer on, 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 on. Wow, that's fantastic. So externalizing it by speaking it out, just voicing what's, get out what you're saying, and then you can actually evaluate what you're saying. Yes, yeah. And then that helped you distinguish between the manga and the biggest fan and the BFF. Yes, that was just, that just kind of started that process. So, because when clients hear the monger, they need to be asking themselves, I need to be hearing from the biggest fan. What's the biggest fan voice? So is that one of the main techniques or tips that you give in the book is to identify the manga and to train themselves to actually say, well, what's the biggest fan countering with? Yes. What would the biggest fan be? And so I have a three-step process that I, you know, and I have a love and hate relationship with three-step processes. Because as you know, it's so much more complex than just these three steps. But exactly, these give people a way, a place to jump off from. And so the first step is acknowledge your feelings. Because for so many of my clients and for so many people, we're not acknowledging what's really happening to us. Something happens. I have a feeling that that's not appropriate. I shouldn't be feeling that way. Even then, that's even if we recognize that we had the feeling. For a lot of us, it's just spinning in our heads, and we're not even aware that the, that 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 we're spinning there. And so. It's really just acknowledging that feeling. And, and I always say, if, 
I was really bummed when I realized that was an answer because I had a hard time with my feelings. And that was such a game changer for me when I finally started just acknowledging that they were there and being able to label them without judgment. I love what you've just said. You know, for years I've been in the mental health sphere and working in all these areas, very similar areas to you as well. And that's like one of the first things in in my technique as well, is if you don't embrace and acknowledge, you can't move forward. So I'm very, very pleased to hear you say that. It's and it's and it's amazing how many people have literally trained themselves. I don't know if you find this, Nancy, in your in your practice, but how people have trained themselves to suppress their feelings and just not face them and just keep busy doing anything except feel your feelings or acknowledge what you're going through. Oh my gosh. Yes. People have, it is, it is incredible the lengths we will go to, to avoid what we're feeling. And especially in this happy industry era that we're in where you've got to be happy all the time, which is, which is just not real. What if I told you, you could get high quality organic and non-GMO groceries delivered to your door for a lot less than you're paying now? and help out families in need. That's what I'm doing since I discovered Thrive Market. As a proud Thrive Market member, I get the products I love and my paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran or first responder. I love getting all my clean beauty products like makeup and skincare from Thrive because they have the best prices for the best quality products. Shopping online is fun and so easy. No stressful lines and I could shop in my PJs from my couch. And as a member, I'm saving 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. Need any more convincing? Not only do I feel great about getting a deal on my favorite clean organic products, but I also feel great about helping to support families who need it most. In addition to membership matching, Thrive Market is matching donations to their COVID-19 relief fund dollar for dollar. Try Thrive Market and become a member risk-free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash drleaf. Join today and you'll get up to $20 in shopping credit towards your first order. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash drleaf to start your risk-free membership and get up to $20 towards your first order thrivemarket.com slash drleaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. You make a comment that I really love. You say that how can concepts meant to be helpful like gratitude, positive thinking, self-compassion, because those are the standard go-to wellness industry concepts and there's nothing wrong with them. They're all great. But you actually say something that really related to me and I I thought it was brilliant. How can concepts meant to be helpful like gratitude, positive thinking and self-compassion keep people with high functioning anxiety, anxious and depressed? So the very thing that that is generally the common go-to advice can actually maintain anxiety and depression. Can you talk about that? And it's a major pet peeve of mine and something I talk about a lot because what we do is, so I, and this happened, and to use my dad as an example, you know, this happened with my grief that I would be talking about, oh, I miss my dad. And someone would come in and say, oh, well, you should be grateful. You had all those years with him and, you know, you were so lucky to have him until he was almost 80 and he's not suffering anymore. And they immediately come in with these think positive, be grateful statements and And I started realizing how I do that all the time. You know, we have people 
I'm hosting my book club tomorrow and they're all coming to our house. And I'm like, oh, why did I volunteer to host a book club? (laughs) I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling that they're going to judge me because the house is a mess. Like I have all these feelings. And then my first tendency is to jump in and be like, oh, well, be grateful. You have all these people that want to come to your house or think positive. And the idea is I'm nervous about people coming to my house and I'm excited to see them. Both can be true. I am so sad that my dad is not here and I miss him every day. And I am beyond grateful that he is not suffering anymore. Mm, That's very good. So we use think positive and be grateful as a way to take away our feelings. Well, it's not appropriate for me to feel that way because I should be this. No, it's totally appropriate for you to feel this way. And you can look at it a different way. But you can't look at it a different way until you've actually acknowledged what you're really feeling. That's the problem is that everyone wants to jump through the and, you know, get to get to the other side. It's that quick fix mentality of this day and age that, you know, everything's got to be fast and quick. You've just got to immediately extrinsically bring it in from the outside is how I kind of understand it. Yeah. And that there's something wrong with me if I can't. I must be doing it wrong. No, you're a human being. You're not a machine. Exactly. Exactly. And we live in an age where we are likened to being biological automatons or machines, you know, that have just got to press buttons and take tablets and suddenly everything goes away. But meanwhile, we're not. We're very complicated human beings with complex feelings that we need to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And and that idea of, you know, leaning into the discomfort was huge for me. And I can remember, you know, shortly after dad died, and this happens, you know, even now when I, if I'm driving to work on a Saturday morning, a song might hit me that makes me sad. And so I'll start to cry. And my first reaction is, don't, you can't be crying now. Like we got to get to work. We can't be, no, what are we doing? We can't be crying. And, and I'll try to jump in and stop it. And, and then the next idea is now is to say, we got 10 minutes. Let, this will go away. If you just let it happen, just cry. And and it's true. I can cry. I can clean myself up. I can be ready for work in that span of time. And that's so much easier than holding it down and not allowing it to come all the way through. That is so good. And okay, so what is going to happen if you hold it down and not embrace it? It comes out in other ways. You know, we've heard this all the time, but it, it, one of the main ways I, I see it come out for a lot of my clients is they're very angry. Under the surface, they have a lot of anger. And so they're constantly keeping score in their marriages. They're, they're making sure that everyone's keeping up with them. Are they doing as much as I am? There's this big mentality of, of keeping score and they're very irritated easily. And so I call it having a 10 reaction to a two situation. Wow, that's so good. Talk about that. So you come home. So all day long, your monger's been chatting at you and telling you how much you suck and how you didn't do it right. And you've just been ignoring any real feelings that have come up. So you might be feeling sad that you didn't get a promotion or scared about a new thing that's happening at work, but that's not appropriate to feel. So you're going to push that down. And then you come home and your son didn't do the dishes, even though you asked him to do them that morning and you unload on him. I mean, you would think he, he, you know, he, he killed your firstborn. He's you're so mad. <laughs> and it's just this reaction that does not fit. Oh, that's so good. That's such a good key to have an extreme reaction that doesn't fit the situation because you've pushed everything down and didn't allow yourself to cry for those 10 minutes when you should have. 
So, so would you say, Nancy, that people think that they're hiding things, but actually what it, because, you know, that's what I teach as well. It's, it's not going anywhere. If you're not dealing with it, if you're not getting it out, it's going in your brain, it's in your body, it's in your mind, and it's going to explode volcanic mode at some point. And this is what I'm hearing you saying. And you very clearly said so well that it's, it's a 10 reaction to a two situation. Very, very good. Yeah. And like you said, the cool thing about that is when that happens, I can be like, whoa, that's, I need to step back here. You know, like, like that's a super clear sign that, that I am out of whack and that my, I am not allowing something to happen because this is not okay. And, and not shaming yourself for having a 10 reaction, but like, oh, wait, there's, I'm working on this stuff. There's my, there's my cue. Something's going on. Let me, let me take some time back and figure that out. So you've just said something that's incredibly powerful, and I just want to reiterate that for the listeners, that you may have had a 10 reaction to a two situation, but you don't have to be ashamed of that because you can actually recognize that you've done that. And now you have the ability to self-regulate or to change that and to move forward and adjust and deal with that. So you can, instead of making yourself, beating yourself up, which is, I think, what high-functioning anxiety would do, you'd then go and take, mm-hmm. oh, look, I've done it again, and kind of keep the hamster wheel going. But you saying... To, to people, be, you can be successful without the shame. I think that's how you explain it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That everything is just an, is an opportunity for me to be fine tuning and figuring it out in a different way. And, and if my goal is to decrease the voice of my monger, the way I do that is by being super kind to myself. Mm, okay. It's being realistic and being super kind. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so what is the self-compassion that keeps people with high functioning anxiety, anxious and depressed? What what is wrong with how should you be doing self-compassion then? So self-compassion can be dangerous because sometimes we believe self-compassion is I'm going to do whatever I want and live however I want and everything I do is great. And that's not how, you know, real self-compassion works. I call it, so I always use the term, let's be kind to ourselves because the monger is not kind to us at all. She's just shaming and belittling. And our BFF is way off the charts in that self-compassion world. And so the biggest fan can say, I know you don't want to do this task, but this task hits our goals. And so we got to figure out a way to do this in the best way possible. And So that idea of let's look at the bigger picture, let's look at our values, let's look at how we want our life to be, how we want to be in our lives, and then we can pull in that voice of kindness and wisdom. I like that. That's so good. That's so well explained. Nancy, is there anything else that, I mean, this this has been such an insightful conversation. I love it. Is there anything else that you would like to, just any tips or anything else you'd like to share from the book or related to this whole concept that we haven't covered? The other thing I just wanted to share, the other part of the system to find out your biggest fan is after acknowledging your feelings, it is slowing down and getting into your body. And for a lot of people with high functioning anxiety, that's the last thing they want to do. They do not want to get into their body at all. They do not want to slow down. They don't want to do any of that. And so I encourage clients to do a full body movement when it comes to that, not just take a few deep breaths or touch their head, but to really stand up and get into their body. Because a lot of us end up like floating heads. We forget that we have a body. And so that concept of I'm going to stand up and I'm going to wiggle or I'm going to touch the sky or I'm going to do something that, that allows me to feel I have a body, that changing of your state is really important in, in moving the monger out of the way and bringing in the biggest fan. 
That is so interesting. So basically, if I'm hearing you saying correctly, this person who's constantly having to fulfill the checklist and every moment has to be filled with something that's positive and they have to keep achieving, that one of the ways they can quell the voice of the manga is to physically stand up and like focus on the body as a whole, almost like a little stretch or a yawn or something, but through your entire body. And that helps recenter one and tune into the biggest fan. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Yeah. It helps you just be, once you can feel you have a body, because the monger keeps you, I always say the monger is like wearing blinders. It's a very narrow tunnel that the monger has you see the world. And so you want to be able to pull those blinders back in order to see the biggest fan. And the first step in doing that is acknowledging what you're feeling. And the second step to do that is to really, is to do that full body movement. So you're changing your state and then you can see, oh, wow, I have been stuck in this black and white thinking. What are the other options out here that I can see it differently? Wow. So that's step one, step two, what's step three? Step three then is kindly pull back and see the big picture. And so that's allowing yourself to be able to say, okay, wow, I had this really crappy interaction with my coworker. What's another way I can handle this? What's another way that I can move through this that isn't just I'm a loser and sitting in my office all day spinning out? Okay, so it's acknowledge, it's get that full body movement, and then it's kind of change the way you're seeing it. Yes, with kindness. The kindness piece is key there. <laughs> kindness is key to be kind to yourself. Kindness is so important. I think there's someone who quotes, I can't remember the philosopher, but it said that the most important thing is to be kind and also to be kind and also to be kind. It just like says it four times. It was just, yeah. you know, so true. Kindness is, is so, so relevant. Okay. Last question I'd love to ask you is how do you explain high functioning anxiety to a friend or a loved one that you kind of recognize is in that state? Because I, I don't think people are very approachable when they, it's, I mean, how do you find, how do you handle that? Yeah, that is hard because there is such a veil of pride and ego that goes over someone with high-functioning anxiety. But it's really going to be the loved ones that see it because people with high-functioning anxiety don't like to show it with, to other people. And they're going to come to those loved ones for constant reassurance. Am I doing it okay? Do you think this is okay? And, and they will get a taste of those racing thoughts and obsessiveness. And so it's really coming from a place, again, back to, to kindness, you know, coming from a place of love and kindness in saying, wow, you know, I just heard this podcast or I just read this book and this woman really describes what I see in you and I'm worried. What do you think? Can we have a conversation about this? Even being able to, you know, at the end, I have a podcast myself and at the end of the podcast, I say, please share this with someone you know who has this because it's such a lonely place to live and and having someone else see us and say, wow, I'm worried about you can, it may not get through right away, but it percolates there. It sticks in their brain and it will get through over time. I love that. So the kindness of seeing, you know, using kindness to really acknowledge or to go to a person and say, I'm seeing this, you know, do you want to talk about it? That's, that's really good. As you say, all couched in kindness is so important. Nancy, is there anything else that you want to share just related to this incredibly important concept? Just, and I do, I wanted to say that a lot of the, one of the traits that a lot of people with high functioning anxiety have is a very strong sense of loyalty to those around them. And so they will go to the ends of the earth for their family, for their friends. If you are in their inner circle, man, they are loyal. And 
where they are lacking in loyalty is to themselves. Oh, wow. That is fascinating. So they're loyal to others, but not to themselves. And how do you handle that? So that a lot of my work, even though it's you're working with anxiety and blah, 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 is I say I'm helping them build a self-loyalty with themselves. Building self-loyalty is my, and that is through the acknowledging what you're feeling, not getting stuck in the people in the people pleasing and mind reading for other people. Just one of the great analogies that I love is the idea of staying in your own car and not getting bogged down in someone else's problems or trying to, you know, run someone else's life. But for those of us with high functioning anxiety, when our anxiety gets too great, we love to jump into someone else's car. (laughs) Ah, so we can avoid our own car. Yes, exactly. And so that's that the piece of self-loyalty is I'm going to keep bringing you back to your car. I'm going to keep bringing you back because you got to deal with your own stuff before you can be jumping into other people's stuff. Mm -hmm, Because don't you think if you're jumping into other people's stuff before you've dealt with your own stuff that you're actually trying to fix yourself in someone else's life? So it's not always going to be the best advice anyway. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, what am I experiencing? What am I feeling? And instead of, you know, so many of my clients will say, well, I'm feeling sad and that's not appropriate. Or I'm feeling stressed. Well, I shouldn't be stressed. I don't have that much going on. Okay. But if you're feeling stressed, you're feeling stressed, period. So to be able to acknowledge that it's so important that, wow. Do you think this this just makes me think of another question related to what you've just said. Do you think there's a threshold that people reach when they don't deal with this, if they're operating with high functioning anxiety and they just don't deal with it? Do they reach a threshold and kind of crash? Have you seen that? I have. Yeah. And I think that's when it really morphs into a generalized anxiety disorder and it becomes where they're having panic attacks and it isn't isn't coming and going. It's just all the time. It's also where they will have a lot of physical symptoms. So a lot of, you know, gastro headaches, headaches, some autoimmune diseases might kick in there, you know, stuff like that, that causes them to really have a, you know, a moment of what's really going on here. Wow, that's very insightful. That's incredible. Nancy, where can people find out more about you, your work, your book? But they can find out more about me at live-happier.com. They can get my book, The Happier Approach, at Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. And they can also listen to my podcast, The Happier Approach podcast, which talks all about this high-functioning anxiety stuff. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. We'll have all of that in the show notes. And this has been such a fascinating, insightful, and extremely important conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nancy. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. It's been so interesting. Thanks. Me too. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf.
This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.